Hello, welcome back to Judge Movie. With me, Judge Movie Ben Flanagan, the movie judge who judges movies accused of crimes against cinema. Nearly tripped over that one, but the judge never falls. The judge is never wrong. Court is now in session. I'm here with, as ever, with... I'm Alicia Izumi, cinema attorney here in the, the movie court. And you've got a intriguing, gigantic, huge, high-profile... Uh, defendant here today. Yes, yeah, today I'm here to defend Tom Cruise because he's been in and out of movie jail a lot and today we're going to be talking about him. Well, yeah, so I've got this file here. He's been accused of one count of always playing himself, uh, one of not being a performer. He's been accused of, of being a sly and dishonest movie star and he's also a giant accusation of not bringing anything new to the blockbuster table and these accusations have come from uh, people far and wide. Uh, fans over the years, yeah. Um, obviously, he was in movie jail after for a brief stint following uh, his couch antics that I'm sure we'll we'll get onto. He's not quite been able to shake those entirely off. He was uh, this. The, we'll, we'll we'll try not to talk too much about Scientology, mm-hmm. but um, that that was that is a part of it. But yeah, I'm here on the defense team to sort of rescue Tom from movie jail because I think you know he's one of the greatest movie stars of all time. He's definitely doing interesting things with action. And he's one of the rare sort of stars as auteur. He has produced the entire Mission Impossible franchise. And I think he's definitely doing interesting things. And he's got a unique presence that we should respect and admire and champion. So he's got Mission Impossible 6, Mission Impossible Fallout, uh, written and directed by Christopher McQuarrie, coming back from Rogue Nation. That's out in cinemas at the moment. Uh, that's had a rapturous response from critics, but audiences seem to be a little bit more mixed on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll, I suppose we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll yeah get we're going to talk later. about that after yeah. we talk about Tom. Okay. Well, court is now in session. Yes, so yeah, I did want to talk about this thing about Tom as a... Tom Cruise is an actor or to, um, I noticed in the beginning of Mission Impossible 2 and Rain Man, they both open with the same song, um, Ico Ico, which is a great song, great girl group song. And I don't know if it's a coincidence, I haven't found any material or research about it, but maybe that was Tom's decision. Maybe he loves that song and he wants it in his movies. Tom seems like a guy with about four CDs and, and he keeps them all in like one of those pouches. So they're like he can take them in the car or like put them in his bag, mm-hmm. and so I guess that probably would have come up a couple of times if that's one of the only CDs he has. Yeah. Um, I don't know. He's probably got like a compilation of like driving hits. Uh, he's he he likes jazz. That's come up a few times. It's come up in Collateral and in Mission Impossible Five. He he has this he has this thing of uh, in interviews of like really making out like he is like a huge sort of culture vulture. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, he's worked with like a lot of very big directors from John Woo, uh, Kubrick, Paul Thomas Anderson, Spielberg a couple of times. So it, I guess is that is that all part of his like persona that he's farming like people around to, to, to use for his gain? Or is it more innocent than that? Um, I don't think it's insidious to want to work with celebrated directors and produce, you know, a good filmography with them. I think that shows, you know, kind of an eye for talent you know he also works with a few first-time directors as well and tries to like nurture that you know he gave jj abrams his first um he gave him his first job as a film director um after he loved his work on alias so i think um you know that's a good thing he is he is nurturing this talent he's producing exciting work he's trying to do interesting things i guess uh, a lot of people would say that the crew's personality overpowers the voice of a director or a writer in these films. And now he's kind of teamed up with Macquarie and he's done quite a few, they've done quite a few movies together. Yeah. So what is the, what is the crew's voice? And, uh, and is it too much for, for, a, for any other personality? Well, I think you can really identify his voice with the Mission Impossible franchise because that's clearly where he has the most power. And it's partly about creating those stunts. It's about gathering a team around him that bring out the best in him. When did he transition from being? When did he become Tom Cruise? as Tom Cruise, because obviously he was, he was a big star in like with like Risky Business, and 
Top Gun. And what's the Ridley Scott one? Is that Legend? I don't think that was really a star-making Tom Cruise okay. performance. But if you're saying where, where was the moment where Tom Cruise became Tom Cruise, I'd say it's, um, yeah, Risky Business and... Uh, and Top Gun. Top Gun. So, but but then it's not until Mission Impossible that he becomes, like, more than that. And he becomes, like, this sort of powerhouse, almost production house himself. Mm-hmm. Teams with um, Paula Wagner... Um, who's his producing partner throughout his career after that. What's the transition? I'm, tra- I'm, I'm, I'm sort of lost in his, in that mid-early 90s bit, where he's like married to Nicole Kidman. Yeah. They do stuff like, do they do Far and Away? And uh, that's the boat one. Days of Thunder's the one I'm thinking of. But he still doesn't seem like he's Cruise at that point. I think he is. I think just not as we know it. I think, um, you know, we were not really there in the 90s, in the early 90s. Judge Millennial. (laughs) I mean, he's got these young sort of yuppie roles, like in uh, The Firm and A Few Good Men. Oh, of course, A Few Good Men, yeah. Uh, He's got Jerry Maguire in the mid-90s. Jerry Maguire's quite an interesting movie. It's him, like, it's almost like his last yuppie role, uh, saying goodbye to that. It's a rom-com uh, which Angelica J. Bastian re- recently sort of talked about how he he doesn't really work well in rom-coms because of his deadness behind the eyes. Um, uh, but it's also, it is like a really funny movie and it's a, a bit more of a dramatic role. Did he get an Oscar nomination for that? He's definitely, I mean, that that was an Oscar hit. Yeah, keep you going one. He was nominated for a Best uh, Leading Role in Jerry Maguire. Yeah, it was a massive hit. Like so many iconic lines from that film, that that almost feels like the the transition film. That and Mission Impossible together, right? Yep. So that's nineteen ninety six. Okay. So why has he been in and out of movie in and out of movie jail? What don't people like about him? I think people have always been a bit suspect of his uh, his Scientology. Um, Nicole Kidman obviously didn't have kind words to say about him after they broke up, did she? Okay. Uh, she said since said nice things about him. Right. I thought she had this big thing about how, like, Scientology was, like, controlling him and she always felt like it wasn't it that she couldn't be controlled by them and so they tried to push them apart from each other. Yeah. I believe so, yeah. Um, I mean, everything about related to Scientology is quite shady and it's hard to separate the truth from the fact, but it's definitely played a part in all his marriages. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think he's from an era... With movie stardom, where um, you don't know so much about a person, um, the people are more like icons, yeah. and he's shifted into a world where you do have to know someone a bit more mm-hmm. for them to for them to be successful. Yeah. So, like, I think Madonna struggled to be uh, to be successful in the noughties because she is she is Madonna as like this icon iconic thing, mm-hmm. and I think Cruz has a similar thing, but he's tried to give himself to help people see him more. But because the only thing that's behind that is Scientology, which is, is something that blocks you off. And that kind of makes him like stuck in limbo a little bit. Even though he's worked with a lot of interesting filmmakers and like pushed himself always, physically and psychologically in films. Yeah, I think he's stuck. What, how do you feel about like that kind of shift in, in movie stardom? Um, it's, yeah, it's definitely true. An emerging star now couldn't have the same privacy that stars of the past may have done but they still had that kind of you know interest in their personal lives was driving their success you know you've always had fan magazines like in these studio written stories about these act where these actors came from and who they are and there's always been an interest in that but it has always been less concrete you know you weren't just looking at their social media account you didn't know what country they were in every every day it was different um I think people, you know, people still respect old Hollywood, so I think that's still working for him. Like these actors that were big before social media can still survive now. I think it works for him in as much as like, while he's still doing like these sort of huge roles, he hasn't transitioned into like real prestige pictures as in the same way that, say, um, struggling to think of an example of someone like I guess Tom Hanks only does like more serious movies now, does he? Um, and they kind of came up at a similar sort of time. But Tom Hanks has, like, let people into his life more. 
he's in a kind of uh, cheesy sort of way where he'll be like jogging through Central Park and bump across the wedding party okay. and like Where's he on Twitter? Yeah. yeah, he's on Twitter and he's always like photographing things that he sees on the floor and he signs everything like Hank or something. Like Isn't that Connie Ray Jepsen video? Yeah. yeah. Brilliant video. Um I th- uh, yeah, I I just think he he is like tries to be your neighbor or your best friend or something or your uncle. But that's Tom Tom Hanks' star image. That's always been his thing. You know, he's not as handsome as Tom. He's not as otherworldly as Tom Cruise. So he's got to work that that friendliness, that nobliness. Yeah, but I th- I guess at the start when they both when they were coming up, like it's something like Risky Business or like The Money Pit are like comparable sort of size movies, maybe. Like they're both like goofy in it. I think early Cruise was a lot more goofy. Yes. Rock of Ages and Tropic Thunder aside. Um, but yeah so what is that otherworldliness about with with Tom Cruise I mean you could start with you know his face he is incredibly handsome um, he sort of grew into that more in the 90s and the noughties um, and he had kind of was almost eerily his face is, it is eerily symmetrical um, and yeah when you look at him next to other people it is kind of like astounding just how he looks that way Um but there is also another quality to him that it's not just about his looks where he has this otherworldliness. It's just being a star for that long, I think, is part of that. But he's not he's not like alien like No. But he's like a superman, is kinda of what you're saying. Yes. Right. Yeah, so we talked about how he's accused of always playing himself, that he's kind of one note. Um I mean that's not true because he does diversify, you know, he played Lestat in interview with a vampire, like a dandy vampire type um he played uh stacy jacks in rock of ages he played paraplegic in uh born the fourth yeah born the fourth of july oh really i haven't actually seen it yeah he plays lieutenant dan in that it's um not one of Oliver stone's best films quite oscar baity i don't know some people like it it's part of his like vietnam trilogy um with platoon and uh heaven and earth is it the tommy lee jones movie um, I don't know, I'm mixed on Oliver Stone. I feel like when he's zanier, he's more interesting. Um, even if those zanier films are often kind of reactionary. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I'd need to revisit it, but it's quite long and, and sort of, yeah, um, generic, I found. But but it's it's Cruise, like, pushing himself. An early example of him, like, trying to be an actor. Because is that around the same time that he did the Irish one? So Born on the Fourth of July was 1989. Yeah. And the movie where he adopts adopts an Irish accent is, I think it's in the 80s, 1992, yeah. So It's him almost like playing with what he can be, because he does Days of Thunder at the same sort of time, doesn't he? I guess that's a collabing with Tony Scott again. Yeah, um, yeah how do you, what, what do you think about that that sort of period? I keep going back to that as like that that like set the template for what he would become now. Well, I don't think it does because him in the early nineties trying to diversify is not something that he does now. Yeah, yeah. When did he stop doing that? Um, I think in the last sort of ten years, he's pretty much exclusively made action movies, and he's pretty much always played the hero. And he's doing like one film a year kind of thing he's really slowed down and i guess that's because he's producing a lot more he's probably a lot more heavily involved in that i don't know i feel like that his early late 90s early noughties run was so good yeah. that was such a strong period for him and that's what really makes him like a classic star i think mm-hmm. is you know the sort of what would that be the jerry Maguire through to about mission impossible 3 mm-hmm. like that there's like not really a bad movie in there is there and i like vanilla sky Shoot me. Uh, I've never actually seen Eyes Wide Shut. What, what, what's Ooh. that like? That's Tom Cruise's best performance. Um, yeah, that's my favourite Stanley Kubrick film. Um, it's it's like a completely twisted like psychodrama. And he uh, is a lot more human. His anxiety is like fully brought to the front, like his sort of self-loathing parts, aspects of his personality. Um, and his narcissism is like, it's, it's totally narcissistic. And it's just it's just this amazing film about sex and obviously Kidman and Cruise together and kind of hating each other and being obsessed with each other. It's it's amazing. Great, yeah. 
um, it sounds like that is a good example of people may accuse Tom Cruise of always playing himself, but I think that can be a strength of a great movie star. Because um, for one, it's not easy to always just be playing the same star image. It's it's It does still require acting and performing and delivering. But even within that, I think Tom has done a really good job of playing variations of the same character and the same archetype. So when he was younger, um, so, yeah, so that archetype is sort of, as Angelica Jade Bastien talks about, she says, um, determined to the point of psychosis. And I feel like he does play that in each of his movies in a really different and interesting way. Uh, like, sometimes he's a bit more reluctant, like in maybe even Edge of Tomorrow. You know, he's reluctant. He has to become this action hero. Yeah. Um, but he's kind of intimidated by it. Um, or as you're saying in uh, uh, Eyes Wide Shut, that kind of anxiety underneath the mania is brought to the front so you you need actors who are able to play one thing really well so that filmmakers can use them in different ways mm-hmm. because it's like having Cruz there as that character is a shorthand for Kubrick to that you, you know you see him you know exactly who he is and what his relationship to Kidman is and so he can bring out different shades of the character by using Cruz's image Michael Mann does that as well brilliantly in Collateral yeah. that was probably the f- yeah, that was a big one of, whoa, Cruz can act for a lot of people, wasn't it? Because he had grey hair. Yes. But yeah, it's a shame that you still have to prove people, people act, to act, for actors to prove they can act, they have to transform a little bit. He's got the grey hair, he's got the terrifying determination in collateral. And he's not playing the hero, but it's, uh, yeah. It's a really good performance. I think it's... I mean, I, I still think Jamie Foxx is better in that movie. I think Jamie Foxx should have won his Oscar for that rather than Ray. Um, or maybe supporting actor. I don't know. But, that yeah. Um, and the way he's kind of... He's still like an action determination. But to see it from a different perspective, yeah, to not be on his point of view is, is really interesting. Yeah, as an onlooker onto Tom Cruise, it is terrifying. And his physicality... Is, is, is a little bit different in that. I think it proves his self-awareness as well. Uh, so what are the other great Tom Cruise performances before we move on to um, before we move on to Mission Impossible? Is Tom Cruise's greatest performance jumping on Oprah's couch? I mean, I think you need to debate whether or not that is a performance. There is a weird quality to it. Is, is Tom Cruise really so in love he's jumping on the couch because he loves Katie Holmes that much? Or is he trying to create a feeling of euphoria like is it a fake declaration of love yeah yeah or is he like swept up in something and he's like you were saying earlier that you feel like it's produced more to kind of push him in a certain way (laughs) you were saying with like the studio with the way that oprah acts and the people in there okay yeah so i feel like that um jumping on the couch is quite famous it was very ridiculed it was on, like, the news. Like, not just in the entertainment news. It was, like, Tom Cruise has had a meltdown. That was part of, like, BBC News. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, people went crazy for Tom Cruise going crazy. Um, people really made fun of him for it. But And I think I've always kind of been scared to watch it because I do love Tom Cruise. But I did always kind of have this strong denial of his personal life and I didn't want to see him have a meltdown um but then I did finally watch the clip and I didn't think it was that bad I think in the context of this show it kind of it makes sense like he I feel like the screaming female audience Oprah very excited it kind of like he's feeding off the energy in that to be like to give them what they want which is to jump on the couch and say he loves Katie Holmes you know that she's trying to get that information out of him about that relationship um so he's kind of giving them something do you think people just don't like anyone that jumps on a couch no, it's not normal, is it? It's kind of, yeah. You should sit on a couch, shouldn't you? <laughs> like, him, like, banging his fists on the ground, which he does a lot, is definitely not as iconic an image, even though in a way that's, like, more tense and and scary. Yeah. Um, it's weird. It's like he's powering up to then jump on the couch. Um, yeah, it's it's... How do you think he feels about that today? Do you think he's like really embarrassed or do you think he's just sort of over it? I don't know. I, I never know what Tom Cruise is thinking. I think this is part of it. This is what I'm saying with this kind of whatever post-Empire uh, like star style. So what do you mean by post-Empire? I, I don't know. This, this, there's a similar like reaching towards God level. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think that's why he worked really well with Brad Bird in Mission Impossible 4, is because Brad Bird is someone that wants like extravagance and opulence and something that's huge. And so he's like, we'll put Tom Cruise on the tallest, we'll get the biggest movie star, put him on the tallest building that there is yeah and we'll have a god reach into the sky you know it's like it's it's Ayn Rand and like and I feel like that's the same kind of thing that Kanye reaches towards is like I'm gonna make the biggest album with the most people and everyone will know that and I find them like similar personalities but maybe it's the difference is that Kanye is this modern person that can speak his mind and Cruz is this like slightly previous style of superstar that can't so much like Tom Cruise just jumps out of airplanes on his free time, you know? That's like his thing. He he took James Gordon up to the sky. Keep getting suggested it on my YouTube. I'm not going to watch that, James. <laughs> no. I don't care how much I like Tom Cruise. I'm not watching you go and playing with him. Anyway. Um. Well, tell me more about your your accusation that he's he's dishonest. I think this. Well, this is this is the uh, this thing of people feel like. And why, like, Bastian says that he can't be in a rom-com. It's like he can't really feel anything. And everything that he does is, like, is something that's that's performed. Mm-hmm. So, like, Christian Bell, when he played Patrick Bateman, apparently based his performance on Tom Cruise. Because mm-hmm. he was like, it's it's like smiling, but there's nothing behind it. It's all a performance. So I guess that's why people find him dishonest. And especially now that he keeps going back to, like, Mission Impossible... Um, it's like he's clinging onto something. Mm-hmm. And we haven't even talked about the mummy. That's right. So that came out last year. It was supposed to launch the new dark universe from Universal, and it didn't do very well. <laughs> That's the story. I watched like ten minutes of it on DVD, and oh, you haven't seen it? No, have you? Have you? Okay, I've seen it. Yeah, because I love Tom Cruise, yeah. and I love the original Mummy. I was I was conflicted there because I didn't want to see a, a, a new is Mummy. It, is it actually related to the Brendan Fraser Mummy? I don't think so. No, um, it's set. In, it's got a contemporary setting, so I guess the, theoretically it could be still on the same timeline, but it's not really got any connection to it as far as I can remember. Um, no, yeah, it's Tom Cruise in a rare sort of fantasy horror role, um, but it is pretty much an action movie. And what does he do? Why is it? Why was it such a disaster? Was it just the marketing? I think the script just wasn't strong enough. People felt like you could see it was trying to launch a franchise, and it wasn't enough of its own movie, let alone to have the goodwill to let it lead a franchise. And doesn't Russell Crowe turn up as Russell Crowe is in it? Yeah, he's he's kind of doing a weird. He's uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and his Mr. Hyde is like this very silly kind of Ray Winston parody, but not intentionally. Um, I'll get to it. It's got Jake from New Girl. It does, yeah. This has got Jake Johnson with a silly haircut. I mean, it's kind of nice that they're like friends. It's all right. But yeah, no, (laughs) it's not a very strong movie, and it's kind of, you know. Yeah. It doesn't use Tom Cruise. I think people expect to be underwhelmed by cruise now like everyone pretty much can rely on the mission impossible movies but it's rare that one like edge of tomorrow will come along that's like actually a really good film and like i mean that was kind of a flop and now everyone just agrees that it's like a brilliant brilliant movie um i think that's up there with his best performances yeah i love edge of tomorrow is one of the one of the greats i could watch it again and again but then even he's usurped by how awesome emily blunt is because I kind of feel like, much as I'm enjoying him in Mission Impossible, I'm really there for Rebecca Ferguson at this point. I feel like I could just have a whole movie of Ilsa. Um, and it was maybe the same with uh, Edge of Tomorrow or Live, Die, Repeat. Uh, I don't know. I I enjoyed his character arc enough to, for that to be a sort of... That's a two-hander, for sure. It's but a yeah, It's a two-hander. I, my problem with that movie is it kind of... The premise falls apart in the last act. That's the only thing that stops it from being a five-star film for me. Because it's like, you keep having to repeat it, but now we've lost the ability to to be reborn, be Groundhog Dayed, and they just do it first time, fine. Mm-hmm. And the, in the last minute, spoilers for for <laughs> five-year-old movie. But... Um, you know, Mission Impossible, it's actually possible. That's what people keep saying to me. You know that impossible mission? It was possible. Interesting talking around Tom Cruise. I think we need to go into more depth on Mission Impossible Fallout. Fallout.
your mission. Should you choose to accept it? I wonder, did you ever choose not to? The end you always feared is coming. And the blood will be on your hands. The fallout of all your good intentions. So, Fallout's come out. Uh, it's a Chris- Christopher McQuarrie joint. What did you think? Yeah, I enjoyed it. It's definitely one of the more enjoyable <laughs> for, uh, Mission Impossible movies for me. I think it might even be my, my second favourite. Um, I kind of binge-watched all of them recently to prepare for this. And yeah, it's definitely up there. It's the only one I've seen in the cinema, and, and so I don't know if that's working for it. But uh, I think it's a great, great entry in the franchise. It works as a sequel to Rogue Nation. Um, I think it's kind of complicating the role of IMF and the role of morality, um, which is not something we've really had in this franchise before. But I think that it, it, this this film handles that really well. Yeah, I agree. I'm really high off it. I think it uh, it worked in all of the ways that the Mission Impossible franchise is good because it's got a lot of crews it's got sort of good villains and incredible sort of momentous set pieces that all follow on from each other a lot of motivated action it's got an actual team behind tom cruise so it's not just him he plays off other people really well um it's got a lot of running so um yeah i think it it, i think it's um maybe even the best one at the moment for me I'm i'm a big fan of three and four um Rogue Nation number five, I feel is good, but not that good apart from Ilsa. Um, so yeah, this one really came together. I think an interesting way to think about the Mission Impossible franchise is, as I say, as Tom Cruise as the auteur, as a rare actor auteur, and uh, as a producer. Um, so the first Mission Impossible film was the first film that Tom Cruise produced uh, with his partner, the producing partner, Paula Wagner, and he's continued to produce all the movies um, since. And I think in the early days, he would employ like auteur directors to create, you know, an interesting action movie. But now it's really sort of emerged that it's really his vision. And he wants like a hallmark of these movies are the the increasingly exhilarating and crazy stunts that he performs himself. Okay. So if, if, if these are... If if we look at this as like a Tom Cruise is the auteur here, then what is his voice? What is the vision? Is it just like exhilaration? Is that is that the the message? Like, what, is is it? If we're saying that you can't really understand who Tom Cruise is behind the performances, then do the Mission Impossible films give you a glimpse of that? Absolutely, yeah. I think Ethan Hunt as a character, he's kind of always very reckless but very determined again determined to the point of psychosis where he will take all these risks and it will pay off which is something they explore in like maybe the responsibility of that which is something they explore in uh, Rogue Nation and Fallout and it's also his this kind of the nature of his determination and the performing the stunts himself it's not just the character but it's Tom Cruise um, in uh, his interview in Inside the Actor's Studio back in 2004 um, they ask him, you know, what do you look for in a director? And he says professionalism, uh, commitment, the best they have to offer and respect for his other people, for the people he's working with. And I feel like he's almost describing himself in that, like that's what he wants from himself. And this like commitment to these ridiculous stunts is something that is part of the movie, part of the franchise, part of the character. And it's all part of that kind of thing. So in a way, it's like Tom Cruise is talking about jumping on the couch. He's like, I'm a reckless guy, but I do it for love. Like okay. then that's the whole series. Yeah. Um Yeah, it's it is interesting how it's it's he's now sort of reliant on Macquarie. Even though I mean Macquarie's like really competent director, I think. Mm-hmm. Um there's bits in Fallout that are like Hitchcock, like the amazing fight scene at the end with um uh with uh Sean Harris uh when he's trying to kill Ilsa and Simon Pegg. He's got them both tied up. Spoilers. Um, no more details. All right. Well, wait. Spoiler warning. So we'll put, we'll put that at the start of. Okay. The... Is this a spoiler review? Sure. Uh, well, no, it's not spoilers. There's a fight scene at the end with with Sean Harris. Is that a spoiler? So there's a fight scene. No, I guess not. But you're saying they were tied up. Okay. Well, 
look, there's a there's a fight scene and they're all fighting over the I've lost my I've lost my train now. But it was it was like family plot by Hitchcock basically. You know the scene in that when they're like trying to put the guy the the scene in family plot where they like keep trying to kill this guy and they like try and stab him and it doesn't work and then they try and put him in the oven and it doesn't work and it's like and it goes on and on and like bits in this and even the bit where Tom Cruise is trying to he's fighting Cavill on the top of the mountain top and they're both trying to like reach for the the like detonator or whatever the way it was like shot with these close-ups and just the sort of rhythm of the editing was like Hitchcock I thought um which is interesting if you think of De Palma having done the first Mission Impossible film and that very much being like uh, well De Palma's always homaging to Hitchcock and that felt like one of his like later period like Hitchcock's like spy movies and then Mission Impossible 2 has the plot of Notorious of the spy trying to convince the woman he loves slash fancies to uh, go undercover and seduce a suspect but they're not like super Hitchcocky movies but like they just utilise like bits of them in there like it's like spice it's like adding a bit of paprika yeah he's like started out as this like gritty 90s crime guy usual suspects where's the gun but I like how he's developed I think you know it was sort of functional action movie dialogue but it all kind of zipped along obviously you've got great actors like Angela Bassett uh, you're delivering those lines but yeah definitely yeah, very welcome addition to the franchise. Yeah, I think they have always struggled with female characters and the fact that very few of them return, I feel, it does feel like this kind of Bond girl sexist thing where it's just like, let's have a new 30-year-old international woman. Um, but so it's nice to have Angela Bassett there and have Rebecca Ferguson returning and Michelle Monaghan returning. Yeah, yeah, it was nice to have her like back for a little bit. And obviously your boy was there, the Bentley. <laughs> yeah, Wes Bentley was great. That was fun when I saw his name in the credits in the like opening titles. Like, oh, how's he gonna show up? That was that was a great great bit. <laughs> that was the suspense. That's your Hitchcockian suspense. Was how always Bentley fit into this? Uh, yeah, I feel like the the when they try to put pathos in the movies, it works best when it is with Michelle Monaghan. Um, yeah, my favorite Mission Impossible movies are three and six. And I wonder how much of that is because that worked really well. That kind of relationship to his wife. I don't think he really works as a stud in these no. movies. And I think he is getting a bit too old to have, like, um, Vicky... Vanessa Kirby? Vanessa, yeah, he, he's getting a bit too old to have Vanessa Kirby, like, like slobbering all over him. Um, so she plays um, the granddaughter of Vanessa Redgrave's character in from the first Mission Impossible movie, where she's, like, this sort of international arms dealer, broker type yeah. um, who they're trying to work with oh. yeah um she's really good in the movie um it, it's it's it didn't really do too much with like that thing of like who is what was the, the character called that revealed to be the white widow no i meant the the henry cavill character his his, his real name was or his fake name you know the um so henry cavill's in this movie he's gigantic um He's a really bad actor. He, he he like pulls off the American accent, but you can see him like concentrating so hard on doing that accent that he like forgets to do anything else. The only time that he like really works is when he's holding that Tommy gun. And he looks like Warrior out the back of the uh, out the back of the helicopter. I disagree. I think he works really well in this movie. I think again they've written this role um, for him in a way that works with his with. The kind of performance he does it's yeah. kind of yeah he's an asshole and no one likes him <laughs> no i feel like it works it's interesting it's very similar sort of character i think to um his superman this kind of like self-belief and i don't want to say determination but yeah like the self-belief and this righteousness but in mission impossible it's a bit shadier and he's almost like you know next to ethan hunt he's kind of maybe misguided um, so I think it's it's working well with that. It works well, yeah. It, it acknowledges that he's a prick. Every time he tries to introduce himself to any of the team, they all just, like, laugh at him. Um, yeah, I think he's great in it. I, I don't think he's great, but I think he's well cast, and I'm glad that... I'm glad... Yeah. I like what they did with him. There's a scene, but... There's a scene in uh, Men's Toilets with uh, oh, Tom Cruise God. and Henry Cavill, and I was so happy. I, this is what this action franchise was missing with some homoeroticism. 
So that was a great bit. There's a lot of suspense. They're kind of looking at each other, looking at the suspect. There's a lot of tension in the men's bathroom. It's great. Yeah, that that was that's probably the highlight of the movie. That whole sequence, I think. Okay, I mean, I wouldn't go that far, but sure. Okay, I just found it so like visceral, um, and yeah, the whole the way it escalated was really good, and the kind of back and forth and. Um, yeah, where it goes, I found it really good. Yeah, I feel I know, extended like set pieces are a, are a part of this franchise, but they felt longer but well well sustained in this one. You got the men's bathroom, you got the city of Paris as a as a as a location. It was great. Unlike say, I think this was the closest one to this is like Mission Impossible Four, the Brad Bird one, which is like set piece after set piece, but it's hopping around a lot more. It's going to a lot. It's like more set pieces. Rather than these were like sustained sequences, I think, um, and I think that works better in making you care about all the characters. You know what I thought they set up at the start was with the whole thing of like, oh, you chose to save one life over many. I thought they were then gonna make him at the end like force him to choose between like Michelle Monaghan and like saving everyone, and he was gonna like let her die. Anyway, it wouldn't have been better. I'm not writing a movie, but. Um, yes, yeah, so this is the first in the franchise that's a direct sequel. It's following on from Rogue Nation, and it's got even more re- returning cast members than usual. Um, and Rogue Nation raised the issues of IMF, the Impossible Mission Force, um, versus the CIA. <laughs> Bless you. Um, and you're sort of questioning how how can they be so reckless and only just pulling it off? Like, is that worthwhile? And then this film is also kind of exploring that. And you've got the CIA coming up against them. <laughs> Bless you. Um, coming up against them as this kind of antagonistic role. And yeah, I like how that plays out across the two movies. Uh, I really like Sean Harris because he talks like that all the time. He's got that like amazing voice and he's just super creepy. And they just like the change in, in the in five he's like very slick and he's got the glasses and the hair and in this they've just gone like mountain man yes i prefer him in this than he than in the previous one he he just has this like very intense like personality and i, I really enjoy it he was in a like channel 4 mini series where he played like um like a Ralmote style like killing spree shooter and it was horrible really depressing program but like i like how they've like managed to use that sort of personality for a big action so yeah. felt he was like yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman casts a shadow over anyone who tries to be a villain in yes. this franchise or any franchise because yeah. he's so incredible. Yeah, they've so never really incredible. reached the same but height. I think he sort of acknowledged, I don't know, about there was a similar kind of malevolence. Um, sorry, did you want to talk about Philip Seymour Hoffman? We can talk about we can talk about Phil for sure. The greatest villain in the greatest Mission Impossible film. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what an amazing performance that is! I, the bit in Mission Impossible Three, I know we're jumping around, but in Mission Impossible Three, there's a scene where uh, Tom Cruise knocks him out, and then Philip Seymour Hoffman is acting as Tom Cruise, acting as him, and it is like sublime. And he's like pretending that he can't talk. Do you remember that bit? And he's like the the the, the, the bodyguard comes in. It's brilliant. That entire scene is fantastic, and then that then leads on to the I want to hurt her like bit, which is a classic. And he gets held out of the plane, and his face is doing all that. Like, I'm doing a face in the wind face. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's an amazing performance. Yeah, um, it's interesting. All the films have quite well. The first four films all have very different cinematography to each other, and um, the third one is especially gritty and like quite nasty and very close up. And you've got all these close-ups on, like, Philip Seymour Hoffman's face, and he's got these sort of, like, you know, you can see his paws, you can see his sort of ginger eyebrows, and it's so, like, I think they are trying to make him quite grotesque, and it really works for him, and he's got this such deep, powerful voice, and he's really terrifying, yeah. It's it, Part of it is, like, how bored he is as well. He seems, he's like this, is he just, like, an arms dealer or something? He's not, like, a particularly... He's a, he's a big deal, but, yeah, he's an arms yeah. dealer. Yeah, but it's, like it's just it's just like second nature to him isn't it and it, he just seems like kind of yeah he's just so bored with the whole thing i think that that's like really different from a normal villain yeah i've been thinking a lot about that casting like so at that point philip seymour hoffman wasn't quite as big as he was until after that 
movie. Yeah, he'd won an Oscar. I, did he? Had he won? I think he won just after. Uh, yeah, he won in for Capote, so 2006. So he would have filmed it, yeah. 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 So he would have filmed it before he won the Oscar, but I think it came out after he won the Oscar. So, But, um, yeah, I feel like they've never quite gone for such... They've never gone after that kind of actor again. No, but also a lot of people don't talk about Mission Impossible 3 aside from Philip Seymour Hoffman. Okay, you think he overshadowed it? Possibly. I, I mean, I think it's a really good film aside from that as well. Um, but, I mean, I like what you're saying about the sort of use of close-ups in it. Obviously, it's JJ's first movie. He's come from TV, which is a lot more... There's a lot more close-ups generally on TV. And I feel like JJ hadn't really developed... I mean, he still doesn't have his own style, but like he hadn't developed like maybe a cinematic style so much at that point. I mean, there's, there's good bits in, of, of filmmaking in, in 3. But. I think it's great. Yeah, it's really great. I do wonder how it will age. Cause for, so, yeah, there's, it, the cinematography is crazy in that movie. It's The colours are very saturated and really bright, and the yeah. blacks are very dark, um, and the camera is always moving, and there's always stuff moving while the camera's moving in the frame. Mm-hmm. Um, so that there's always people rushing, there's always lights moving, and the camera's always moving. And I quite like it. I think it works well for the movie and the pacing, but I can see how it'd be very grating, and I do wonder if maybe in 10 years it would just seem very dated. Do you think it was part of that... Stay, well, it has been 10 years. Uh, ...like, action thing where, that people complained about a lot with, like, Transformers and the Bourne franchise, cause, or even more of the world to some extent, where people used to complain that action was way too close up and... Um, fast-paced and too many cuts uh i think yeah it is kind of of its time yeah i think i, I remember it being like a bit more easy to follow though, yeah, it's yeah. yeah it's definitely slicker it doesn't have as much shaky cam and it's not just the movement is more like really fast tracking shots rather than this kind of moving camera yeah, yeah shaky cam paul greengrass style kind of thing would you would you want the next one to for macquarie to go come back again or do you think you would like to see another person take on for maybe the last go round? I feel like variety is kind of what makes this franchise interesting so maybe it would be nice to see a, a different voice take the lead but it has been quite stable since we've been in the hands of Tom and Macquarie yeah um but I yeah I'm not sure where the franchise can really go the Tom Cruise is, Tom is is getting older I think they have to do one more like I don't know, I'm just not. I mean, they could, they could stop there, but I, I want to see one last one, and they make it sort of like just super cheesy and dramatic. How like how it's the final one? Yeah, I mean, Liam Neeson became an action star in his fifties and sixties, so maybe Tom Cruise just can just keep on going. But Neeson be- didn't become an action star until then. Yeah, I think that's the difference. Like. Like when Roger Moore did *View to a Kill*, and he's like fifty-eight, and he's like shagging women that are like nineteen. It's like it's just really like unpleasant because it's like oh, you're past your sell-by date, rather than like second wind. Here's a new lease of life for me, you know. Um, what if they get Brian De Palma back to do the the last one? It would never happen, but uh, yeah, that could be interesting. I yeah. I think if if what I like about Rogue Nation and Fallout is this kind of growth and reflection on IMF and Ethan Hunt, then I guess the the hypothetical seventh Mission Impossible film would have to interrogate that more so um, to be a really good conclusion to that series. Who would they get? I'm I'm just thinking about that now. Jordan Bolt Roberts. Yeah, I was thinking Gareth Evans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't want either of those guys to do it. No, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, yeah, Macquarie only gets away with it because he's such a good writer. I mean, he, he can direct, like, sure. But I kind of liked how they had, like, sort of, like, loud directorial personalities before. Yeah, uh, I did just want to say that uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, I think, has the best score of all the movies. Oh, yeah. Um, so we've got Lorne Balfe, who has a studio at Hans Zimmer's company, He's mentored by hands and it does have this, you know, it takes the Mission Impossible theme, the iconic theme and really gives it a driving sort of bassy, Hans Zimmery, Inception-y. It's great. It's yeah. really great. It has this like tension where it seems like it's about to go back into the main theme like constantly, but it doesn't really do it too much, does it? Like, It doesn't, no, but it really plays with it. It sort of breaks down the theme, brings in little bits of it. Um, yeah. yeah, I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, it was 
Oh, maybe it's number... Okay, quick ranking. Okay. Um, I am... I'm going to put Ghost Protocol at the bottom because that is the one I would least like to watch again. Um, and then next it would be Mission Impossible 2, directed by John Woo. I did enjoy parts of that. I did enjoy revisiting it, but it is quite weak script-wise. And then the first one. Um, that's good fun, yeah. but could be better. Um, and then Rogue Nation, then Fallout. And then Mission Impossible 3 is my favourite. I love it. It's yeah. got the best running scene with Tom Cruise, probably of all time. It's It was, yeah, it makes great use of Tom Cruise's running. It's a beautiful scene <laughs> when he runs three quarters of a mile down a bridge in Shanghai and it's an unbroken tracking shot. It's amazing. Oh my God, it's a beautiful <laughs> scene. Look at that. My bottom is going to be Mission Impossible 1 because uh, it's, um, it's really good, but... Uh, as a Brian De Palma fuckboy, I think it's like a bit of a sellout. Uh, it's got like wicked sequences, but he does them all better in um, Femme Fatale. And I think it's like a shadow of what Mission Impossible would develop into. Um, then I'd probably say Mission Impossible uh, Rogue Nation. Um, it, it's an awesome movie, but just um, I don't like the underwater scene. Um, and it's just it's just not that like super strong, um, although it's like really good fun. I love the opening. Renner's kind of wasting a bit bit of time in that. We didn't even talk about Renner. Uh, then Mission Impossible Two, uh, which has risen in my estimation. I think it's got a lot of really good stuff, and I like the way it plays with Notorious. Um, then probably four, no three. Uh, feels amazing. The the filmmaking not so. Um, other than that amazing sequence uh, and then for uh, Brad Bird's King and then probably new one number one wow. just thought it was great yeah yeah made me enjoy Henry Cavill's presence so well I've been in my chambers and I think that uh, I think Tom Cruise uh, his reputation precedes him to the point where it's it's like blinded people to the qualities that his films have and the amount that he keeps pushing himself, not just to... I mean, obviously, Mission Impossible physically pushes himself, but he has pushed himself artistically to work with a lot of different people to stretch his persona. Um, will he be able to sustain his his star personality in the next sort of five to ten years is going to be a big test for him. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you Like, Fallout's been a big hit, but The Mummy obviously wasn't. American Made wasn't. So he's he's gonna have to change it up somehow. Yeah, I think that 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 might be the one one crime I I would stand by. He's not diversifying enough. Mm. But maybe now, maybe having Fallout done so well, he's gonna like, you know, and how and how much he he jumps out of a plane. Like maybe maybe now he can like step back a little bit and like reconsider. Um. So, the well, I'm. I'm gonna let him. I'm letting him free because I think that he has so many classic movies under his belt, mm-hmm. not just the six Mission Impossible films that are all really worth your time. But Minority Report is one of the best films ever made. We didn't even talk about War of the Worlds is great as well. Uh, his collabs with Tony Scott, with Ridley Scott, Eyes Wide Shut, Magnolia is an amazing version of his persona as well, and a really great takedown of like toxic masculinity. Uh, there's more that I'm not thinking of. Yeah, Cameron Crowe he's worked with. The Last Samurai. Do you remember The Last Samurai? I've never seen it. I, I remember having it uh, advertised on the radio when I was like 10, probably when it came out. And the advertisement was like, one of the greatest movies ever made. And someone at school was like, yeah, that's the best film ever made, that one is. And I was like, whoa, I have to see The Last Samurai. He's The Last Samurai. Never saw it. So maybe it is one of the greatest films. Maybe. Point is, we're going to let Tom Cruise... We're going to let him, him walk free. Mm-hmm. Um, with the qualifier that he needs to kind of take stock and and reconsider his, his sort of... How much he, he could end up in movie jail if he doesn't watch himself. Yeah. He's out on parole. Yeah, I guess... 
I guess so. So he's got he's gonna be like under house arrest. He's gonna have a tag on. No, he's not jumping he's out, out anymore. He just needs to have regular meetings with his parole officer to make sure he's right. You know, while he's pushing himself as as a great stunt actor, he needs to also work on the acting. Which is a, you know, yeah. we like the acting. We do like the acting. Yeah, it, yeah, do more of it. Yeah, but we haven't seen that recently. No. One thing I, I forgot to mention on Mission Impossible Six is so far. Up until Rogue Nation, and every even-numbered Mission Impossible film, he's had long hair. Mission Impossible Two, he's got long hair. Mission Impossible Four, Ghost Protocol, he has long hair. He doesn't have long hair in Fallout. I think he's at a point where if he start it starts doing the long hair again, then he's going to become like Nicolas Cage. What's wrong with that? Nicolas Cage is a is a um, I mean needs to come to court for his own episode, but you know he's got a lot of different hairstyles, and some of them are quite amusing i don't know i prefer i prefer like military length yes yeah it works for him yeah but he look, it looks good in uh mission impossible 2 with long hair yes yeah maybe that's like the handsomest cruise ever was maybe in that one yeah and it's because it's a love story as well yes i feel like very few of the other films do look like um like turning the male gaze on tom yeah, they don't kind of like they don't look at him lovingly or like him in this special way that just in Mission Impossible or in in, in his films. In Mission Impossible Two, they do, but some of the other ones don't right. like give him that look that I think is sort of missing. But as an aging man, maybe that's not important anymore. Quarter adjourned. That was Tom Cruise. If you want to read any more about Tom Cruise, uh, Angelica J. Bastian has written quite a good piece uh, ranking all of Tom Cruise's performances. It's quite a quite a personal choice for number one. Um, that's on at Vulture, and there'll be a link to that in the show notes if you want to want to think a bit more about Tom. Yeah, and if you want to get in touch and tell us why you love Tom Cruise or hate Tom Cruise, don't you can't you can't be in the middle. You've got to be one or the other, right? I think you do. Yeah. Mm. So run to one side or the other. And yeah, get in touch at Judge Movie Pod on Twitter or Instagram and at WordPress. We just at Judge Movie Pod on WordPress. Okay, cool. Uh, good to know. Next week we're going to be talking about Donnie Darko. Yeah, that one gets heated. It does, yeah. So stay tuned for that um, next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>